0: we
1: do? hey what's up I'm fighting all these different buttons that pop up.
0: <laughs> I know what you mean. It's so how, how you doing my friend? You good?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah. Well,
0: what what do I call you? Do
1: you can say Courtney or you say Simply Courtney. Either way, I will respond.
0: OK. I'm going to call you. Let's call you Courtney. Let's
1: yeah, that's what most people do. Most people will ask, what can they call me? And then they say, I'm going to call you Courtney, literally in that order. I don't know what it is. I think a lot of people don't like the Simply part, but that's fine. Uh, it's not really for everybody else to like. It's more for myself and my kids. So it's all good. Uh, it-
0: are you going to, is that going to be part of a routine? Are you put...
1: No, I mean, so the thing is, my name is a tribute to my kids. So my real name is Courtney. Uh, the simply part is just a tribute to my kids. Uh, my daughter, Simone, S-Y-M-O-N-N-E, and then my son, T-Y-T-A-N. So he's Titan, she's Simone. I spell my name like I spell their names. And so because of that, whenever people acknowledge the first name, they're acknowledging and shouting out my kids as well. And that's more of just a life thing and not a routine part. But I know that, like, in this day and age, especially a lot of people um, still aren't comfortable with calling people whatever their preferred name is. And me being a bigger guy, most people see simply and they're like, I don't want to call you that. I want to call you Courtney. And so it's just that's what I kind of deal with on the day to day. I've been dealing with that for eight years. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and- so and you do the thing of like having a comedic stage name,
0: just sort of like it's, I noticed that quite a few comedians do that because they don't want to involve their personal life with stand up. Right.
1: That- when I, yeah, because my first started, I had, um I was working with kids and I actually used to go on stage just as Courtney. So I just had one name and I think a guy si- I signed up just Courtney and a dude that said, OK, you just just go up there as Courtney. I said, yeah, yeah, just simply Courtney. And when I said that, the guy, one of those days, you know, sometime later and announced me, said, give it up for your next comic, Simply Courtney. And I was like, oh, okay. I like that. You know, I like the way that sounds. And I changed the spelling up a little bit. And there was, you know, it's two name, uh, we call it two, uh, yeah, two name, name. Uh, cause you know, social media, hard thing with social media is you can't just go up there with just one name. They usually need two names for the boxes. And so In order to be able to book, I needed to have both. And so that was kind of how the whole thing worked out. And I just stuck with it.
0: Well, there's a big story. There's a story to your name. And I'm I'm betting there's an even more interesting story on how you got into stand-up.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, Me, personally, I was always a very uh, very talkative kid. I always told stories and stuff. Um, Fun thing, I didn't get into comedy until probably closer to, like, 30. So I was like 26, 26, 27. Um, I had been doing a uh, activity with my summer camp. It was a uh, story time. I used to have these kids that would uh, tell these horrible stories. they talk talk uh, a whole lot of uh, partner friends, but a whole lot of shit. And so when they would, their stories would sometimes be gross. Their stories sometimes be uh whatever it'll just be some stuff that like little nine and 12 year olds would talk about on a van trip you know to the swimming pool whatever and so i learned i was like you know what i told the leaders uh because i was the director of the camp i said what we're going to do is we're going to take that activity that they like to do and figure out a way to make it productive and so we ended up um making a pretty much a time for them to come up and tell jokes tell stories and it was more of a a dedicated space for that and so i remember setting up the activity for saying all right kids y'all sit down all right who wants to come up to tell one of their stories first or jokes and nobody got up and so i was like wait what's going on why don't you want to get up and i remember one of the biggest things when it comes to like trying to get participants to participate is you have to lead by example and so you have to be willing to take part in whatever activity it is that you're trying to get them to do and so i went up And just started riffing some random ideas, jokes, musings, whatever. And before you know it, like the whole classroom is laughing. And all of a sudden now they're jumping at the bit like, I want to go up next, you know. And so I ended up um, doing that. And that became like the way that I would get that activity started to the point where I would literally go into the room. Like I normally wasn't in there, but I would come in just for that part to get them kind of primed to go up and, you know, tell jokes, whatever. Uh, after a few weeks of doing this, um, a coworker was like, dude, you're funny. You should try a open mic stand up comedy. I had never heard of a such thing. And so I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, look it up. And so I looked it up around town here in Austin, Austin, Texas. And I ended up um, finding all these different mics and It sat on my PC, so like I had made a bunch of tabs for the open mics that I was gonna try out. And I didn't do it for a year. It was just, you know, it was this very kind of intimidating thing to do. And so I sat there, you know, thinking about it, you know, days in, days out. And then finally, I was able to work up the nerve and the courage to go do it. And um, that was nearly eight years ago. Matter of fact, my Eight-year comedy birthday is next month on the nineteenth, I believe, and so that'll be eight years, starting in two
0: thousand twelve. Oh, yeah, it must feel like quite a thing. I'm, I'm guessing it's flown by.
1: Absolutely, some and in, in, in many respects it has, but also in some it's been a drag. You know, it's um, obviously you know it's nowhere near where I want to be, but at the same time I'm appreciative of where I am. It's like one of those very weird concepts where you obviously want to do way more than what you're doing, but you know, honestly, given today's circumstances, you're kind of like, you know what? Hey, this is where it is. We've got to figure it out. You know.
0: I'm guessing from what you said and the way you said things, you said that you like to chat a lot. You were the chatty one in the group. I'm guessing. If I'm right, you were the, you were always a funny one in the group, your group friend group, and used to crack the jokes and make everyone laugh.
1: Yes and no. I have a very funny group of friends, and I would like to believe all of them could totally be doing this stuff as well. Uh, obviously, the stage fright and the organization and all that stuff is something that's different for a lot of people. But yeah, I would say so. Um, I make friends quickly wherever I go. I'm fine with is opening up and talking to people is not um, a scary prospect for me. Hmm. And I think that's probably the thing that makes it a little bit easier for me is that I'm able to go into a room and start talking to people. Kind of like how I just got on here and start talking with you even though it was the first time we've met, you know? It's, it's boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's a uh, there's a thing that with comics they say that you're two types of people. You're golfer this is one of the famous English comics, like Alan Francis or something. He says uh-huh. you're the golfer who just happily free and gets on with life. Or you're the other type, which is quite you know, neurotic. And mm-hmm. yeah,
1: you're one or the other. I run right in the middle. I, I think personally, I run the gamut of um, being bits of both. Because I have my moments where I do want to be left alone. Uh, in the joke creating phase, I can get like that, and I also say after performances, I'm definitely that second part, and that's definitely why I know. Um, I don't know. I, I tell people if you want to be a stand-up comic, I'm honest with you. I say everybody can do it. Uh, to get on to get on stage and tell jokes is not hard. It's getting back on stage that's the hard part. You know, get on after uh, you've had the best set of your life. Get on after you had the worst set of your life get on after um, your sister passed away the day before and you had this commitment that, hold on real quick, my signal's getting kind of goofy. Let me switch signals real fast and just see if I can get a little bit because am I getting choppy on your end?
0: No, it's quite smooth.
1: Is it? Well, let me just leave it alone. I think, I don't know. I I have have double signals over. But anyways, um, getting on stage after – you have had a string of jokes that have not worked. And either one, you want to you know keep on those jokes because you feel like there's something good going to come out of it. Or two, all the jokes that you've written that used to work for some damn reason just aren't hidden. Get on stage. And that's the unglamorous side of this. Now, it still can be fun in itself because I think exploring and uh, almost kind of like uh, being a stuntman that every stunt goes bad. And people are sometimes happy to see that, you know, and some of us are, I guess this wouldn't be to say this would be the masses part in us that we keep going. We keep going back even though we're getting bumped in the head, bumped in the head. And that right there, all of that, what I just described is what a stand-up comic is and this is what a, a comic is this is what an entertainer is this is what a professional anything is is you have to take the good with the bad and clearly say as much uh, or, or, or as people say a lot of it you have to you have to take all of that you can't just get one side of it or you're sorting the craft.
0: So what you basically said there you're describing your relationship with comedy as a marriage
1: <laughs> yes bingo i i was just telling somebody in another four years, this will be technically the longest relationship I've had with anything or anyone. Uh, I was married for seven, no, married for six, uh, together for seven, and I had a the professional job I was talking about. I did that for a little bit under 10 years, or a little bit over 10 years, and then I played football for 12 years. And so I played uh, American football here in the States, um, all the way up until university level for like almost... 12 years or so and so once I hit a little bit over 12 years with comedy this will be the effectively longest relationship that I've had no breaks all of that
0: yeah and so I'm guessing you must have had quite a you know I, I don't really know much about high schools in America or what it's like in American football I'm an Englishman we're a little different uh-huh. but I mean what I mean I've seen I've seen. American high school dramas and programs that I've seen. OC, I've seen, uh, One Tree I've seen Glee. Is it is it anything like
1: that? <laughs> yeah, I think you got a good idea of it. I mean, it's no it's no different than the, the the. I said you said the you're talking about high school as a general, not just football, right?
0: Well, what was it like for you being an American footballer from high school? In
1: okay. But it was. I mean, it was. <clears throat> so the reason i was going is, we're we're all still anxious teenagers. We're all still know-it-alls who think we we have a grasp of the world and ourselves. Uh, we have a lacking amount of uh, actual experiential um, health. Just call it what it is: experience. There's a lot of life that's still yet to be lived, and everything is very um, heavy. But my my thing was, and I was telling somebody, is that. I spent so much time, dude, looking forward to the next thing that I didn't get to appreciate a lot of what was around me in high school. You know, from uh, freshman to senior year, I was always driven like, okay, I can't wait to go to college so I can go to college and then go be a professional football player. Uh, Or I'm going to go to college and and be a professional, whatever. You know, and I spent a lot of time almost in a – looking forward instead of a, 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 a appreciating what was going on around me. And I know that there's probably a lot of people that do that same thing, but then you go back and you realize that high school was some of your best years with a lot of friends that, you know, you either won't see again or you'll see it for the rest of your life. Um, and it's not like that there's any regrets there because I did live a very, you know, fun, vibrant life in high school. But at the same time, I did spend a good deal of time, Pushing people and opportunities away Because I was so over it, you know
0: One thing I find quite interesting is They used to say There's there's two things I'm going to ask you Because there's bits where they say that People reach their high school That's their peak And they end up working as a bin man And then there's other bits where you go on to do other things And like, yeah, you go on Carry on doing well
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, no. For me, that was definitely <clears throat> that was definitely not my peak. Um, I honestly still feel like my peak could be so many different things. Like, if we're talking about sports here. Oh, god, definitely not. If we're yeah. talking about uh, yeah, we're talking about sports, no. And I even talk about physical fitness. Like, I think I was close to my physical peak uh, probably a year or two after high school. Uh, where I could just jump like crazy, I could run like the wind. I was strong as a freaking, you know, bull. Whatever. Um, every I have levels of everything: romantic, romantic, uh, romantic side, uh, education, um, physical fitness, financially. Like, there's all these different things that happened. I feel like in the years following high school. Hell, my kids were born after high school. And so I just, yeah, life, you know? And so for me, there was so much that happened after high school, Uh, no disrespect to, you know, everything that happened in it was great, but hell no. Uh, I still think that with comedy especially, I have a chance to overcome not being a bin man, no disrespect, I love, I know exactly what a bin man is. That's the uh, waste man or the trash guy for you guys. Yeah, and so I love that I was able to catch that. I was like, ah, look at that! I got a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of, I guess, uh, not lexicon, but definitely something that you guys will say over there that's common. And I was able to immediately just pick in because I was like, I wanna know how this conversation is gonna go, but <laughs> I know the best way for me to deal with it is just to take it like water and just jump in and not tiptoe around to start talking. And figure out where you know the translations fit. So that was cool. Um, but now I don't think I'm I've peaked in, in anything. Like I feel like everything is still going. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird to say that, but it is it is very true. I have so much more to do, learn, gain, and show. Definitely, so much more.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's why I here. I mean, like people say that you're one or the other when you succeed in high school, and how does that sort of happen for those that unlike you have like haven't progressed and they've remained stuck on the same level like what happens there
1: life <clears throat> i think you you have to understand that sometimes things happen to you and this is not you speak, uh, formally this is just in general is sometimes things are going to happen that are going to be beyond your control and they're going to put you in a place where you're not able to move past your level and some of it is a choice and others is forced you know you have if you end up having you know kids coming out of high school and you choose to say you know what i have to stay here and support these kids support my wife then that may make you stay in one specific level or if you end up i don't know like for me for instance i had kids but i got divorced and my kids are with my wife my ex-wife and so because of that it's made me and it hasn't even made me it's allowed me to take a passion of mine, which is speaking, which is entertaining people, and go full force into it. Uh, When I was married, I don't know if I would have been able to have done this, you know, I probably would have had to settle, no disrespect, but I probably would have, I more likely would have settled, stuck with the traditional nine to five, and not been out every other night on a different stage, in a different town, different city, whatever, you know.
0: How does the sort of um, society? So when you're in high school, I'm, I'm not, the, the whole podcast isn't going to be about high school, but I'm just intrigued as a British man. How, that's fine. How does, does the structure sort of work? Like, because I'm very limited in what American high schools are like. All I see is that. That's like mm. you have the nerds and you have the big guys and you have the cheerleader woman and it, that's it.
1: There's a whole group of subcategories to that. I was a jock, but I also was friends with what would be considered the nerds the music kids, the smoking stoner kids. Um, you'd have like almost the femme fatales, which was, you know, you'd have the ladies that, um, the girls that loved everybody. You all had, hell yeah some kids that were friends with the teachers, you know, that was me. Uh, Some friends that are, that were like going out and able to be um, almost like the model citizen. That was me. But at the same time, I was also that kid that uh, would stay to themselves. That's what I was talking about. Like I'm picturing me during high school, like during lunch, instead of sitting at the table with my friends at some points, I would go to the library, and go work on an assignment that I didn't have to have done for days or whatever. And in my head, what I was doing is I was doing that because I was practicing for what I was going to do in college. And I was like, you know, you're going to always be working and studying, and you're going to have to really work at it. And so that's what I did. And so um, I was able to go between all the different subsections. But, yeah, they existed. You know, for me, I was in a city public school, so I wasn't in one of those little small town where everybody knew each other. Instead, it was like a lot of us had friends that went to other schools, rival schools, et cetera, had even girlfriends and boyfriends at different schools. And so it looked a lot like what you'd see on TV and television and all that, but it was also different in the fact that it was real life. Um, think about it this way. In real life, you still have that section of things. You have people that are affluent and they kind of run in their circle of people that are affluent. You have some people that are low lower caste. They kind of stay in their group as well. And you have people that have activities that they like to do. And when they have that activity, let's say comedy, you have people that come from this group, that group, this group, and that group. And the commonality is that we all like to tell jokes, you know? And so that goes for everything in this world. Uh, obviously, you're gonna you're going to go with people that have a lot more in common with you than not, but there is definitely a chance for the cross section. And I would like to think that I ran the cross section all day, every day in high school.
0: Yeah, a bit like Louis Howe. Do you know Louis Howe?
1: I don't. Who is he?
0: He runs something called the School of Greatness podcast, and he was he was a he was an American footballer. He was a pro, but then he mm-hmm. got he got injured. Oh. And then he slept on his sister's couch for a while and then he started, um effectively, this is by accident. He started contacting he wanted to set up his own business. So he started contacting entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and he kept on doing that. And now he's a multi millionaire and like he's been on Ellen and all these T V shows and he runs a podcast which is very famous. He he has all these influential business people, psychologists, and yeah. He's 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 but he used to do that. He used to be the someone that wanted to mix with all these different sort of groups rather than be pigeonholed.
1: Right. Which is possible. You can you can definitely pigeonhole. Like it's not a hard thing to just settle and be cool with it, but I definitely um that always wanting more mentality definitely permeates uh from every art through every decision that I make. And it's not on some um I think I'm better than anybody. I definitely think I'm better than my own level though. And so wherever I'm at, I still have that drive that says I can do better. And I definitely can. Um, obviously we're in the pandemic right now. So, you know, things are a little bit different, but I still run myself the same way as if I was out on stage every night. I haven't went out and performed live since March of this year. Um, now back at the beginning of this year, I opened up with uh, doing 40 shows in 40 nights. And so it was just stage, 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 stage. And the cool thing was, and actually it wasn't in 40, it was in 34 nights. (laughs) Sorry, Um, I shorted myself there. But yeah, it was like 40 plus shows in 34 nights. And the way my mind was working then versus the way my mind is working now is nearly identical even though I'm not performing nearly as much, all my stuff is kind of like what we're doing right now online, you know, via Zoom or whatever the other uh, casting sites that you have that you can work on.
0: Uh, In in the UK, we sort of got back to live performances, like Mm -hmm. in person indoors. And one thing I've figured out since I've not been on stage for six months, like performing on Zoom gigs is okay, I don't mind it, but it just feels a bit awkward. It feels yes. like playing a video game and then chatting yes. with someone on Call of Duty. It doesn't yeah. feel like a gig. And I felt really awkward in the last few gigs that I've been back on stage. Like Before, even like, and these were just new material nights, so I was testing stuff out. Before, they wouldn't make me nervous and I wouldn't be uncomfortable or whatever. But since I've gone back into it and I've not been for a while, I started to get nervous again. And a lot of things that I, I forgot to do that i'll normally do since i was on yeah. stage I, I i bombed basically but <laughs>
1: that's why how uh, i'm mean going to ask you just because i haven't honestly even asked my friends that have went on they're doing it here ill-advised because we're spiking again and people are just tired and they want to go out and perform because you know comics, whatever uh for you let me ask you this what all oh, are you nervous do you feel the nerves are is it just the strictly Performing, hoping the material connects with the audience, or is some of that also? It's weird to be around a bunch of people now, or is it even some more things where you're like, I'm just not used to being out. Like, what what do you think your ner- where do you think your nerves come from with that?
0: I think it was all all three combined yeah. that put me off a bit.
1: Even on stage, you're thinking about, oh my God, did the last person that to touched this mic, did they potentially have it? No, or... but
0: it was just, it just felt, yeah, it just felt very weird and comfortable and it didn't feel natural anymore. And yeah. it was, yeah, it just, that's what it felt like. But, you know, once I get back doing it again, I'll start to feel better. But because it's been so long, it's like a muscle that's gone. And yeah, even some of the best pro comedians are sort of, they off oh, the yeah. pace of it. Yeah. I it's
1: amazing. That, Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: I found hosting easier because it's just like you're chatting around and you're talking to people. But when I was doing the set again, it felt like, I don't know, it felt different.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I haven't done anything, man. It's, it's, I'm curious to see how it goes. Um, It was funny because I was on such a roll. Um, I did this thing for my birthday, my 34th birthday. I said I wanted to do 34 shows in 34 days. And they're all different shows. And so started from January 6th until February 8th of this year, 2020. And so I was just like, bam, bam, bam. Sometimes I had four, three and four shows in one night. And so when all of this happened come March, because I was still going hard come March, um, when everything came to Screech and halt, I had been going so long that i think for probably three months or so i was in recovery mode just from that and so the first three months weren't nearly as bad you know a lot of people were like oh i and i still did but i was just kind of like oh, you know and then finally i guess you know, only have three months and so you have march april uh may and then june and then finally july was when I finally started getting the itch again. And I started realizing, man, I haven't been performing in a while. And around that time, shows started opening up. Like you had some places that were doing outdoor shows was there, they continue to do to now. And I started thinking about, it. I was like, well, I'll do an outdoor show. And so one of these guys that put on his show um, at a professional stadium parking lot. And so I considered doing that. I flirted with that. They moved the dates around because everything was canceling left and right. And so I never did it, but I got comfortable with starting to try to do stuff online. It was still probably, I don't know, I don't think I I didn't get comfortable on digital stage until probably late August. You know, I started doing stuff online and I learned to kind of ask for what I need. I'm a very interactive comic. And so I started asking the um, audience to unmute themselves because I noticed that the shows that I got feedback on, I was able to do better. And so I said, hey, audience, if you can go in and unmute your mic, that would be great. If you are okay with turning your camera on, that's even better. And for shows that I wasn't the headliner on, I would do that and then I would make sure that I stayed way on course with material. But for shows that I was the headliner on, I would do that and it would almost at points turn to be a call and response in addition to me telling jokes and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, you, you're definitely right in doing that. Some of the gigs where you perform and like there's you can't see anyone, you can't hear anyone, it just feels too awkward. Like there's no point you're doing it because there's nothing fun to play off.
1: Right. I don't and I don't like that. I I never liked that in general. Like I will see the open mics because I think you understand that too, or even low rooms where there's like nobody there responding. It almost for me would be like, Why am I even performing here? Obviously I can say these jokes in my room. I can say these jokes, you know, in the uh uh in the closet. You know, it's just I'm here to get response from people. And I would see friends that could go up and just recite their jokes verbatim, regardless if the audience was reacting or not. And I was like, Bravo to you, but that's definitely not the way I'm built, you know. Yeah, no, it's
0: it's it's not it's I mean, that's the thing that I find with comedy. It's def- i would say with a lot of comedians, perhaps in the UK, I'd say it's about sixty-five percent. Most of them are very written-based rather than performance-based, mm-hmm. and they—they very, you know, if they, if there's something that throws them, they just still do the jokes. There's no thought. Oh, I need to change it up. or I need oh, wow. to chat, I need to do this. A lot of the times, it's just like they're reading a script, as you said. Like this is—we're not in a church or a Bible. Like right. we're having a fun show. You're here. To, they've come. They spent their evening. You should entertain them. You should make them laugh. It's, you're yeah. not—you're not reading a storybook.
1: <laughs> right. Agreed. Agreed. And I get it that you know you want to show your material and you want to show your skills or you may be taping for a special whatever but I am very much along the lines of whatever happens is supposed to happen and I'm going to do my best to be aware and address the you know proverbial elephant in the room um every time I perform and no disrespect to people that can't do it because I know there's some people are just not built that way I am fortunately the way I'm built is to be able to see what's going on that's weird and also pivot. And I told somebody once, if I had a joke that had three three tags on it, I did tag one, I did tag two, and as I'm starting tag three, something happens. I'd much rather go and talk about the thing that happens and not do tag three than say, I have to ignore that funny thing that just happened, that gift from the gods. And do my tag three, do my third tag, because I'm a professional comic, and the way comedy works, it's it's in it's in threes. No, (laughs) I'm going to address and enjoy that gift, and then maybe the next time you see me, I may do the third tag. You know, I've had people ask me after a show, "Hey, what was this thing?" And I either told them, or I was like, "Hey, the next show you see, I'll make sure I do that bit and I finish it, unless something happens." that i have to address and i'm always going to be like that i used to fight that um i would fight that for a long time it was on some uh you have to be very um not scripted but uh polished the word was polished you know you have to be very uh, your timing all of that needs to be there Your stammering everything needs to be there for people to take you serious as a comic and i realized you know that that's not me as a comic me as a comic i'm Somewhat of a loose cannon at times. Uh, I have a point. I have a methodology. I have, you know, stuff that I've wrote. But I also can go off the cuff and talk to people like a human being, and then dip out of that conversation and go into a joke that it reminds me of. I'm fine with that. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's a difficult night, if people are, yeah. people or if this, like, you can't just. <laughs> If you have a challenge, you can't not react to it.
1: Yeah. it's the vast majority of what I deal with here. (sighs) Because the UK is very much like we
0: have a different sort of character and different in each sort of city. Do you get that in America as well? I mean, have you traveled a lot in different cities?
1: I have. um, Not everything and nowhere near as like, heady as somebody that's traveling nationally on the regular, but definitely um, the big cities around the southern United States, um, either out east or a little bit up north as well. uh, You do get that. And definitely in Texas, we're a very sizable state. And so we happen to have like, you know, three uh, very large cities within three hours of each other, which is barely close proximity wise. Everybody has their own. Every room, get this, every room has its own personality because you got to think every neighborhood yeah. is comprised of like-minded people or the bars that people go to, they go to them for a reason, or even the theaters that they go to. And so part of town, all this stuff plays into it. Um, you may be telling this joke to a bunch of millennials on one stage and then go to another show somewhere else. And you're telling it to a bunch of, I don't know, 60 plus uh, pensioners, you know? And so it's interesting that I think for me, especially during my little run, which I really appreciate even more so now, I did that and I didn't have time to change my jokes. I would literally start my morning off. My morning routine was, all right, what shows do I have? How much time do I have in each show? And then I would write a set that essentially would have to work for every show. And so if I had three shows, four shows in one night, I wasn't changing. I wasn't going to go and I'm going to change my material. No, I'm going to stick with my material. And that is going to be what, 24 hours. So I told myself I have 24 hours to do this material. And whether it goes good or bad, I have to stick with it. And I had some shows where I was like, man, I should switch to this and that. And I did, and I had other shows where I was almost mentally just stuck on that material. And I made it work. And so I have been on both sides of the spectrum of I only have my material and that's it. But also I'll tell you this and when stuff happened like I'm performing and there was one show. uh, I think one of the audience members have a part where I addressed the audience for something. There was a kid in the audience and I said something to a kid and the kids grandma who didn't speak English was there and she thought I was picking on her grandson. And so I had to not only address the grandson, but I also had to address the grandma, but then I had to let the audience know what was going on during the whole thing. And it ended up being a very funny moment because later on in the end, I was able to win everybody back. Um, The grandma, through translation from her daughter, was all like, hey, the reason why she was mad at first is she thought you were picking on her grandson. And I was like, no. And then I ended up, so I beatboxed a little bit. Uh, y'all, y'all have beatboxing there, right? What are y'all? Okay, rapping and be Y'all have all of that, okay, good. So I didn't know if the term was beatboxing. I know y'all have beatboxing, but part of my act is me beatboxing. And so what I've gotten is I've gotten a lot of people, like that, definitely in this past year, that didn't speak English, yet they were entertained by what I did on stage. And they've come up to me and either communicated themselves or to translate with somebody else that they enjoyed my performance, you know, off of the faces that I make. I'm very animated with my faces, my voice inflections and in the beatboxing and stuff. And so when that happened with that grandma who thought I was picking on her grandson, it was hilarious because I was like, well, what did they like? And she was like, well, your faces were goofy. You know, she said that through translation and it made me appreciate, being able to pivot and not be married to my my act, so to speak. It's what.
0: So I'm guessing that you're more of a performer than perhaps
1: a writer. Absolutely. Um, I tell stories, and I use my body to tell stories. Everything is from my past. It's from stuff that I've experienced, and. There's humor there, there's funny there, but I almost want you to, I almost want you to take a journey with me. I don't want you just to come away going, that was funny. I want you to come away going, you know what? I'll describe it like this. My favorite moment when I'm on stage is to look in the audience and to either say something that makes them go, hell yeah, me too. Or better yet, they nudge the person next to them, and they're all on some, hey, that thing he's talking about. Yeah, remember we had that moment? Hell yeah, wasn't that funny? Or they come up to me afterwards, and they're like, yeah, man, gooses. Or not gooses, geese. Those, they're, they're some fuckers. Hell yeah, I agree. That story you told about your son getting attacked by a goose? Yes, that happened to me too. We own geese. I saw a goose outside. It was looking at, it was, it was about the case and still somebody's right, you know, little stuff like that. I just, um, I want to connect with people. And that's the bigger thing that I see in a lot of stand-up, especially locally, is that they could give two shits about connecting with the audience. My little thing that, my run that I did at the beginning of this year, I wrote out um, little goals and objectives. And one of the big ones was, I want to treat every performance every audience, every stage, individually, like it's the only thing that I have today. So that means if I have one, that one performance is getting my all. If I have four, those four performances are getting my all. Excuse me. That means those audience members, if I can, with four, you can't really connect that much because you're running until the very last one, unless you have the timeout. I'm gonna sit there afterwards and I will sit there And if somebody wants to come up and talk to me about an experience that they had that was related to my set, I'm here for it. And every show that I did, that I had one or two people that did. You know, I'd be uh, taking pictures or or handing out merch, selling merch, whatever. And then I'll have a conversation that linked with someone who connected with something I said on stage. And to me, that's as good, if not better, than the whole audience getting up and applauding after you're done. That's great too, (laughs) it's a a very uh, great feeling. A spit tape, somebody falling out of their chair, somebody knocking over an entire picnic table because they're laughing at something you said. All of that is great, but I love connecting with people in such a way because to me, if I connect with you personally, more times than not, you're gonna come see me again because you'll go, oh, that thing that he said, I connect with that. That's a person. You can make people laugh really hard, but if they can't tell you what they laughed at, they're not really going to connect with you as much as a person who can go, not only was he funny, but he talked about this thing, that thing, and this thing and that thing. And I love all of that. I connect him with that. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the business dude of being long, a long lived and longevity. I'm not in the business of being a flash in the pan. You know, they call it a, a uh, uh, nova, you know, burn bright and light and then die. It's not what I'm here for. So, you want to be a black hole that lasts for a while? No, damn right. Yes, sir. Black hole. Play on words. I like it. <laughs> that was dark. <laughs> that,
0: that didn't sound right.
1: My God, I need to rephrase that. <laughs> Boy, you better quit being worried. Don't you worry about that. you good. You're safe. You're safe. I, I like it, though. That's, that is exactly what I want to be. It was better than you saying white hole. I'm like, what the fuck is a white hole? That ain't real.
0: <laughs> how would one thing I wanna ask, how did you um so what has your journey in comedy been like? So that like you've gone from like open mic, open spot, ten spot, twenty spot headliner. Like how does that work in Austin and how's the circuit working that?
1: It's different for everybody. My my journey is very much my own. Um I did everything, man. I've still I'm still that by the way I'm still I still say I am still an open micer uh I just happen to have access now to other gigs to where I don't have to go and work my time out at open mic so to speak I still do because I need it and I'm still nowhere near a finished product of anything um but I did everything dude I did storytelling shows I did the variety shows, I did the clean gigs. Um, For me, I did all this stuff, first of all, with the intention of getting on stage. And then secondary was to learn how to be be able to perform in front of every type of audience, whether it's senior citizens, like I said, pensioners, or it's um, kids. Hell, I perform in front of kids, I work with kids. My very first, we were talking about very first crowd, was making a group of nine to 12-year-olds laugh in a classroom upstairs at my, my job, you know? Um, all of those different things helped me to be able to perform, I think, in, in as many venues as possible. And because of that, it helps me generate ideas as far as what makes people laugh, but it also allows me to put myself out there to where after a while, all you have is what you know. And for me, it's my lived experience that I take everywhere I go. And so if I'm performing in a hip hop venue, so I'm in front of a bunch of musicians, or I'm performing at a coffee shop, or I'm performing in a theater in front of people that are like two times my age, I'm taking me and I'm doing that no matter what. Churches, doesn't matter. I performed in a gun store. Uh, We had a gun store comedy show here for three years. And I did that every month. So once a month, I was the host of that show. And that um, that group of people is kind of like what you would expect to be at a gun store on Saturday nights. But also some people in there that probably didn't give two shits about guns. They cared more about the comedy and who we brought, you know. But I had to learn how to adapt and do that. And all of that stuff was stuff that I was kind of blessed to do because I was always around. And so that was gonna say for me, my journey is a little bit different because there's some people that will wait for opportunities and there are others like me who will drive, you know, an hour or two hours away <coughs> to a free show just with the idea of, I just want to get on stage and meet people. And then hopefully if somebody likes me, they'll bring me back. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of different because I didn't get all of my work in here in Austin. A lot of my work came abroad, towns over. I traveled around just because I knew. Um, when I showed up, like I said before, I was almost 30 when I started performing comedy. I was in my late 20s, mid, late 20s. And so I didn't drink. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I had kids. I had work the next day. So when I showed up, I wasn't coming to hang out. And I noticed really quickly, in order to really you know, get those opportunities, you had to hang out. You have to play the game. And I wasn't interested. In, go ahead. Oh, I wasn't interested in playing the game. I, I I wasn't gonna go and sit in a bar and talk shop with people that I didn't connect with because I wasn't there to drink. You know, I was like, if I come to the bar, I'm coming to the bar to perform. I'll hang out for a little bit, say hello to any audience members there or whatever comics you know I talk to. But then after that, I'm gonna ready to go and. You know, it's either on to the next gig or I'm going home because I work in the morning. And so because of that, I didn't go and hang out, um, which I think was somewhat detrimental because the people that did hang out, there are a lot of people that forget that a big part of comedy is networking. It's not what you know and what you can do. It's who you know and who you can do. Hey, get, um, so <laughs> that's a real thing. And, and I didn't do that because of that. And I have to move my, my own way. Yeah,
0: it's a big thing. Like, yeah, you've got to hang around certain places. You've got to be connecting certain clubs. So, effectively, it's what what is like the Austin place where a lot of comics hang out.
1: There's a bar. uh, There's really two bars, but there's definitely one specific bar that just recently closed down. I think either two months ago. um, That that was pretty much you could look at the the uh, shows around town. I just, no disrespect, I could look at shows and tell they were just thrown together, that it wasn't a, let's figure out what people work together, like a curation. There wasn't curation on these shows. It was, let's put on who's always around. And to some people's credit, hey, that's cool, because that means you're going to get booked a lot. But does that mean, you know, uh, does that so high acumen when it comes to being performance based or being funny? it depends, you know, uh, for me personally, a lot of my shows did come the very first time I'd have to ask and then I have to just wait to get booked on again. But then they also did come where I just hit a person up and said, Hey, here's my veils. This is what I have going on. Do you have any openings in this time period? If you do, I'd love a spot so I can plan accordingly. And if not, I'll move on. And in Austin, there's definitely the, as people want to call it the click scene and all that, it's not really that heavy of a click scene, but it definitely does exist. That you'll see certain groups will only stick to certain groups and then others will only stick to their other groups, you know? And you'll have, like, what's considered your mainstream cast of system and you'll have your lower pecking order below that. It's high school. A lot of this comedy stuff is juvenile in high school at best.
0: I find it funny, though, when it gets gets involved in sort of – yeah i think you know that sort of stuff should be in high school but it's it's, right. it's funny i don't know it doesn't make sense for me
1: yeah
0: it exists
1: that's everywhere though i know i i don't i haven't been in your system your scene, but i promise you you have a little bit of elements of that too that's just human evolution or how we work is that we try to find what's comfortable for us and then we stick with it and i would imagine your section where you're at i'm pretty sure there are some high level comics or comic (laughs) that everybody looks at and holds in high regard and everybody's like this person anything they say is golden and then there's other people that probably could you know people could care less what they say they're like why is this guy here oh yeah you know and why that exists that's just how we're how we're built and that's in everything every industry sports cooking dancing uh uh uh, being an attorney you know all of that stuff is you know there's the cool kids and there's the have gots and the have nots you
0: know Uh, one thing i want to there's two things get, but one thing i want to say is that the london the way the uk comedy scene works is that there's certain four or five big clubs that you get in you do spots for them and then you can progress they got gong shows little small new material and if they like you they book you if you hang around them like you say You get booked on, and you progress, progress, and you network of other big comedians. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of comedy competitions. Now, if you do well in them, you get spotted by bigger name bookers and agents, and then you go on TV, and it takes three or four or five years. And as you said, there's a mainstream circuit. Mm -hmm. Does it work a bit like that in Austin as well?
1: Yeah, it does, because the competitions here, you can – we have a thing called our hat because our club just closed. Our actual A-Room, which is our big flagship club, closed down uh, probably a month ago, if even. And that thing had a, because this is Austin, they had a show called, or a uh, competition called Funniest Person in Austin, which was big time. It uh, got, you know, people from Comedy Central, et cetera. It got opportunities. person that won it regularly got them just for laughs. Um, and it was one of those things that you really did want to do well in that because people would book off of that for pretty much the next year. That even if you never did anything else, if you advanced the Funniest Person in Austin, whenever you got brought up in conversations, they'd say, well, they did advance in FPIA. And it was just one of those things that it was something that everybody was highly sought after to advance because if you did, you kind of got put in this different group of people. There are people that weren't as good as comics then they advanced in the fbia and everybody started booking them and treating them differently you know and i've definitely seen that before uh, for me personally i did it i i advanced in other competitions in other areas but in that specific one i didn't advance and i think that the way that i worked i had to literally show people time in and time out that i was as funny if not funnier than people that you saw that you felt like oh this person is the top of the top you know and my stuff was a little bit more difficult because one, I wasn't always around the scene. Two, when I was around, I came, I performed, and then I left. And I talked to certain people that chose to come talk, whatever. I wasn't gonna go and run up to every comic and be like, Hey, how are you doing? Instead, I would come in and try to stay out the way and perform. Uh I was still friendly, but I told people I was friendly, not fake. And um one of the coolest things I think about this system, definitely here in Austin, is that there are chances to—oh, there are chances to over, like, to jump levels. Obviously, you can't skip levels in general. Eventually, it catches up to you. But there are some people that are just able to be that shining light that just goes flying into the stratosphere, um, because whatever—either they they come at the right time, they fit the right mode. Uh, they make friends with the right people, whatever have you. Uh, but it's just, it's, it, it, it's pretty much the same everywhere. You know, you try to do well in that club that's in front of everybody in the competition that directly puts you up against people. And then they go, okay, this group is separated from all these other open micers, you know, but it's pretty much the same. We don't have as many clubs as y'all though. Y'all got five clubs, but I mean, y'all have a bigger population. Y'all like what, 3 million or what, what is, what's London's population?
0: About 8 million.
1: 8 million. See what I'm saying? I I shorted by five. See, so Austin is barely, I think we're probably closer to a mil and a half. But we have Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, which are all cities that have multiple clubs in them and multiple millions of people. And so because of that, it doesn't hurt us as much because we're in the middle of all of that. But we also are a huge entertainment sector. So, Austin being a a very big music and international city, so to speak, we have a lot of industry that comes here. And so we don't have to necessarily go out and be good on the road. I personally have to go out and be good on the road because I'm not embedded here in the comedy scene or the club. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, you're a Sigma male. Say it again. You're a Sigma male.
1: Explain it, uh, chances are you're right, but definitely give me the uh, definition of that so I can use that later on.
0: Sigma is so you have the alpha an alpha male who like mm-hmm. in high school he's like the big dog and he, he's powerful and he conquers everything. But you have also like the Sigma male who has the same sort of power and status, but he's mysterious. He he likes to choose who he mixes with, he likes to choose the things he does. He chooses his friends, he chooses the gigs he go to and he carries a certain degree of power and intrigue about
1: him. I like that. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) It sounds like the um, nomad. I'm the nomad, and that's exactly how I would describe myself. Yes, sir. Yes, accurate.
0: But, I mean, the definition I've given you is pretty shit, but look it up. No,
1: you didn't. No, you don't do yourself like that. You did great. That made sense because what you did is you took the most basic wording And you made it where a kid can understand it, which I don't know if you've heard one of the rules of comedy is dumb it down enough or don't be so smart that I think it's a 14 year old to be able to understand your jokes. And you did that. You literally made your statement. Your definition was easy enough that a 14 year old can understand that. That made perfect sense. So good shit. But with a Sigma male,
0: it can be a bit of a, risky sign because you're not necessarily in any sort of hierarchical society and you're a bit out of it, bit in it. Uh, it, it can be very put in the situation where you could be put in the below that. And which Facts. Is, Yeah. Which is a better man.
1: Yes. Very, very so. And that's that's definitely uh, happened. And it happens uh, to where they're like, OK, hey, you're going to open the show or we only think you're good enough to do a five spot. And I'm like, It takes me five minutes to explain my name. But, you know, neither here nor there. That's part of why I'm still on my journey of working. And I don't think personally, if I was one of those comics that showed up and within two to three years, everybody handed me the key to the city and I could get on any show that I wanted to in town and hit the main club and open for everybody and all that. I don't personally think that would have been a good thing for me. I think that for me, I need the journey if I started comedy at 20 years old versus if I started comedy closer to 30, which I did, I think personally, I wouldn't have had nearly as much to talk about. And I still have to find my voice at eight years in. I'm still figuring out who I am, what my persona is, what my look is. I just had a conversation with somebody about what my look is on stage. For the past two, I think three years, I've been exclusively wearing black t-shirts and some jeans. And I was like, you know what? Let's change it up. Let's do something different. I think that I'm still able to change my style. And I love that. That's my favorite thing about everything is that I don't have to look. I don't have to sound. I don't have to be a certain way. Is that bad? Because there are some comics out there, definitely in town, who the club knew exactly who they were almost day one. Day one, this guy, he's a lovable slub. That's who he is the shows that we think a lovable slub could be put on, that's what he's going to get put on. And you know what? Good for him. But part of me also feels sorry for him because I think that if he ever wants to deviate away from that, he is going to have to work his ass off to do it. And if he does that the wrong time, he may get put back into the you know, beta male category. And for me, I'm okay with being able to, because much like high school, I can operate over here with the mis the the miscreants, the outcasts, but I can also hang out over here with the populars, the jocks, the pretty girls, the vanities, et cetera. And so I love being able to go in between the two because I think that for me it makes me a more well-rounded individual than if I was just one or the other. I'm not one thing. I'm not a monolith. I am literally this um heterogeneous mixture of All of these different things, you know, uh, Almagazin or whatever, of all these different experiences, lifestyles, sex, populations, all of that.
0: So, with all of that, one thing I've. So, I gigged a while in New York, Chicago, and LA, and I spoke to a few comics there, and like the main sort of scenes and the main sort of places that all comics want to get to are right. New York and L.A. effectively
1: mm-hmm. or you go
0: to New York to get really good and you go to L.A. to get famous, famous. Yep.
1: Um,
0: but you don't necessarily need to do, a lot of comedians do both but which, which are you feeling like if, if when you get to a certain level with Atlanta do you imagine yourself going to one of those cities and if so would you decide to go one or the other or would you do both?
1: I would love to be able to be a spot where I can do both. Um, My goal is different than a lot of people. I would love to be able to what I call satellite out. And so I want to be able to live here, but travel. Because you ask a traveling comic where he's from, he'll tell you where he's from, but he'll also tell you where he just came from. There's a lot of people that just live in those cities, which is great because of whatever reasons they have to. But for me personally, the road, I want to come see where you're at. Like I literally want to be on the road in London. I want to be there, and then I want to be able to have a few dates later to be somewhere else. I don't know if you're in London, but I'm assuming that's where you're at, so sorry if I miss, um if I wrongly assume, but I want to be able to go to all those different places and not be married to one specific area, scene, locale, whatever.
0: <clears throat>
1: it can be... Um, I
0: think with yeah, so basically, you and which which would you say if you had to gig more in, would you prefer to go to New York or LA?
1: You know what, New York to me as a city has always fascinated me way more than LA. Uh, LA is cool, don't get it twisted. Like they have their own little cool scene too, but the New York, especially that existed pre-COVID of traveling and going and doing a a lot of gigs at at one time. That right there fascinates the hell out of me. That's super intriguing. I love the idea of going through the grind. I still appreciate the grind, even though now there are times I didn't have to do it. I think coming back after COVID, obviously I will, or quarantine I will. But um, I like the idea of going and walking it out like to me that there's a romanticized notion in my brain that sees that as fun challenging and actually being a comic and i love that so new york definitely without a shadow of a doubt
0: it is a very intriguing city they're very aggressive they're very loud and they're Mm -hmm. very brutal they really do not care they're very harsh but la they're a bit nicer i'd say maybe but, I mean, a lot of them are also actors and actresses as well, whilst New York's probably, they're all doing it for comedy rather than acting.
1: Yeah, I think you really are, you know, hitting the nail on the head. When you talk about getting good, and I'm still in the storming phase, storming and norming phase of my comedy career, or whatever you want to call it. And because of that, I really enjoy the grunt work. I enjoy the ugly like, going in, and and it, it does suck. You'll still complain. You know, damn, ain't nobody here paying attention. Why am I doing this? But there's those moments where something magical happens. It may not be the first mic. It may not be the second mic. It may be the third mic. And then later on, you're remembering, yo, in the first mic, this cool thing happened. I forgot that that even happened because I was so, you know, I was resting from thing to thing. Um, That's the hard part because I do believe that you learn more if you pick one mic and you just stay there the whole night. But there is a cool part of being able to collectively write your wrongs. You tell a joke, you have, you know, your three minute, four, five minute set, whatever. You tell a joke where you miss a punch or a beat in that first one. You have the second one where you can get that right. You have the third one where you can see what it sounds like when you're not resting to get it all in there. You have the fourth one where you figured it out now and you have the pacing. It's a great way to build material. And I like the idea of having those ugly rooms. Do I go and seek them out? By no means, <laughs> I do not go out and seek the ugly rooms. But when I find them, sometimes they're beneficial. And most people that know me will be like, nah, he hates those uh, rooms where there ain't nobody there to laugh and there's none but comics. Those things suck, but at times you do find material in them. You can think about something and go on stage and take that thought and have a cranium dump to where you just literally circle one topic, one thing, almost for the entire length of your set. And you're just sitting there postulating, you know, you you write this, this is what you think is funny. You end up cutting half of that out, you know, taking a piece of that out. And then there's one little kernel that's actually funny And then you start all over before you know it. You might have, you know, I don't know, a line of funny stuff after a week, if you're lucky. Uh, You know, some people, my, my, my system is a lot different than most people. I take a story that I think is funny. And I go from there. An experience, a story, whatever. A lot of times I tell the story the way it is. And then as I'm telling the story, there are one, things that make me laugh and two, things that make everybody else laugh. If I'm able to find both as one and the same, I'm already somewhere. But there's a lot of times the story to me is funny, but I'm not able to you know, convey that to the audience yet and let them know how it's funny. So then that's where the work comes in. And I have to go back in, script things out, add things. Sometimes I have to add some stuff that's not true wholly yet. But having artistic integrity and license, I'm able to add the funny things in there until I'm able to get it to where it's really close to reality. And then before you know it, it's just me talking about my son getting attacked by a damn goose. And that's it. That's all I need. I don't have to say, yo, the goose had a pistol. The goose drove up in a lowrider hoopty and had 15 other geese with him. And they all had guns too. And they had chains that had G's on them that stood for gangster goose gutter. You know, like I didn't have to do all of that. But I can if I need to. So...
0: Now you're mentioning about, so like Austin being in the middle of all these different cities and like you mentioned the story about the goose and your son. Um, so do you like to do sort of localized jokes on Texas towns? No. Like, like do you
1: absolutely do, not.
0: <laughs> do you, so nothing on like, oh, one part of Texas is completely white and like, they're like, hey, why are you? do?
1: I, so my material, dude, I spend a lot more time talking about myself than anything else because I say the jokes that I do, if I have to work on them, I have to be able to work on them in real time. And although the joke that I'm talking about my son, I'm literally just circling one joke right now. My son who just texted me a second ago, matter of fact, it's that story takes place when he's like probably two and a half years old. He's 10 now. But I can still tell that story. I can still tell that joke because, one, it's funny, and I never put his age out there. I think that when you pigeonhole yourself, um, people will go in and they'll talk about politics, Trump, whatever. He's not going to be in office forever. Do you want to be doing comedy forever? And there's two spoil of thoughts there. They're saying, well, I'm going to tell that joke now, and then either, one, I'll change the person who's in it or the event that's in it when it needs to be changed. Or two, that joke is just gonna exist for that time period. And the reason why I'm doing it is to jump on a the hot thing right now. And maybe it's a skill builder. And I respect people that can do skill building, whereas they're telling a joke, not for the joke itself, but for the ability to be able to tell better jokes than that in the future. That's fine. Me personally, the jokes that I have and the stories, I wanna be able to tell them for as long as possible. And they just do nothing but get better. I have a story right now that's probably almost seven years old and it's just gotten better. I just added another tag to it probably um, earlier this year. And I love that because I am constantly being able to use the stuff that I brought in and make that be the thing that's the focal of my performance. And I don't have to go, oh man, this crowd may not understand it. There are some things like every once in a while, we have like little, not topics, but uh, I don't know. There are some things like if I'm in a rural area, they may not get certain references. I have references to video games at times. And I know that the reason why I still make the reference is because the few people that may get it, it's great, but it's not the punchline, you understanding that video game reference, or not understanding it, does nothing to the joke. It's just a little piece, a little bit, a little tag of the entire whole spectrum of comedy that I'm giving you. And I've learned that about myself, is that I'm not gonna write about just one specific area. I'll go in and I'll make a joke or a reference to something that happened. I might walk in and go, yo, this place is so damn close to whatever, I haven't seen another black person in five years or Not five years or five, in five and five miles. Uh, I saw shadow. Oh, nope, not, that's just me. You know, like I don't have to write my material to specific areas because for me personally, I'm not going to be in that specific area long enough for that joke to make sense a year from now, you know? So I, I just, I don't focus on specific, like specific. specific yeah. I can't say the word right now, but specifics let's we'll
0: leave it at that <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that but what, what what is being like a story so what mm-hmm. like, what has been what has been a story or a situation in comedy that has taught you the most but was uncomfortable and very unique and what has been kids. the funniest experience you've had being a comedian? having
1: kids having kids having kids uh uh-huh. There's stuff I still haven't talked about on stage yet. Um, Yeah, having kids. I think being married, too, and that's still the thing that I'm still coming to grips with or coming to terms with with putting on stage um, because I have so much more material that needs to come out of those experiences. Uh, But having kids, man. um, Yeah, there are stories that are literally in on themselves to where I'm talking about being on stage, the experience of being on stage and doing something on stage that provokes an emotion or reaction from my kids. Like, literally, I'm telling a joke, a story about my kids, and I do something that either one pisses them off or makes them happy or makes them sad, and that in itself is the story slash joke that I would bring on stage you know? And so it's kind of a it's super meta. It's almost like Inception. I'm talking about my kids about something that happened when I was doing comedy. And that's the story, you know? Um, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I drive, I drive, or I used to know it, uh drive um, Uber. So it'd be, yeah, Uber, you not know what that is. And so I have experiences there as well. And so there's a lot of my material right now that kind of comes from that. But the story in itself isn't the fact that I'm an Uber driver, it's what I'm experiencing. And so I could go in, I, have, I guess, and give you all the animal stuffs. Um I've had experiences where I'm driving, and like I said, the story or the joke isn't the fact that I'm driving, it's the fact of what happened and then what I how I reacted subsequently. Um, if that makes sense. And because of that, I think that those stories I can tell those forever because oh. they're funny by themselves. They're not. Like, if Uber goes away, <clears throat> honestly, if you don't even know what the hell Uber is, I can still tell you the job. I come in and go, hey, I'm a driver. What I do is drive. I drive people. And it's weird driving people because my name is Courtney. Courtney's traditionally a female name or a feminine name. And so because of that, when people find out that Courtney's driving them, then they open the door and they see that I'm the Courtney that's driving them, they get scared. And they think that either I stole the car and I'm pulling a fast one on them. You know, little stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just easy. And, and I, the reason why I wrote that, man, I'll be real honest with you, I want to be able to travel the world doing this. I didn't realize traveling the world meant I was going to do it via uh, pretty much teleconferencing. But I do want to be able to tell these jokes to people in other places of the world. And I don't want to have to go in and change all my material. I want you to be like he's funny, and although we didn't get all the references, he's still funny because we understand that what he's talking about is funny, and yeah. and that doesn't matter if you've lived my life or not, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the. Th- <sighs> yeah. What has been the best thing that's happened to you in comedy?
1: My kids. Well, <laughs> no, I, kids. Know, I know. I know. I know. You're like, God damn it. You know what I mean. You know what I mean, Courtney. No, best thing was happening to me in comedy, man. So I don't know. There's a whole host of things I will say because I got highlights. I don't have a highlight, so to speak. Um, yeah, I'll take that. My first gig what I'd like to call betting on myself. And the phrase betting on myself is something I hold in high regard to where I'm not relying on somebody else. I'm not hoping that somebody saves me. I'm not hoping that if stuff goes wrong, there is a savior in the clouds waiting for me. There's a superhero that can pull me out. No, it's just me, I'm the superhero. Like if I fall over this cliff, I have to pull myself out of it, metaphorically speaking Um, and literal. Uh, I did, let's see, so I went through a breakup and this wasn't a marriage, this was a just a regular relationship breakup, but it it hit me hard. And this was in 2000 and uh, this might've been 2019. So it was the beginning of 2019. I, before that, had already started making plans to take my act on the road myself and not necessarily aligning with a group of people. The smart thing to do is to take some friends with you so you're not by yourself. You know who your opener is. You're able to, uh, your mic is moving. That's so funny. I don't, are you moving your mic or is your mic moving on its own?
0: moving on its own Ah, that was
1: funny i just saw it slowly getting closer to you and i was like i don't know what's going on is your loft haunted my friend no is your flat haunted yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: (laughs) oh god but no um i i remember i had already made this plan i said i'm going to start going out on the road by myself and i'm going to take merch i'm going to sell shirts uh if i'm able to come with anything else i'm going to sell that And I'm going to literally take this comedy thing one to another level, but I'm going to take it serious in a way that I hadn't before. I didn't think I was a person that could sell shirts with an idea that I had on it. I didn't think I was a person that could go and be the bookend of a show that I could go out to another city, especially one that I was not supposed to be going to by myself and handle it. You know, um, That right there was the start of me. I felt really taking this on as I'm not just a little baby comic. I'm not just a beta male, that I actually do have something that I can sell and that I can package and say, hey, this is what it is. And so that right there is my biggest moment in comedy. I mean, I've opened for people. I've done big rooms. Hell, I had a time where I got to cross all of those at the same time. I did a very big show for me, big show was 400 people in the audience packed, you know, theater, a little small theater, but at 400 people in it. And then my son is on the edge of the stage watching me tell jokes. And so I'm able to look over as I'm entertaining these people. And I see one little person there watching and laughing and oohing and on. And then afterwards he tells me, hey, I enjoyed this more than video games. The next time we go to a show, I don't wanna have a video game, I just wanna watch you, you know? And that right there is my biggest moment ever. Nothing tops it. But comedy-wise, it will definitely be the moment that I bet it on myself. And I said, Hey, I'm fixing to go to this other town. I'm gonna to headline, I'm gonna sell merch, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna show out. And I did. And since then I've just been going. And obviously nowhere near a big mainstream name. I'm not on TV. I don't have all these credits out the wazoo, but I know I will get there. I don't think. I don't hope. Uh, I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to have that belief. If if you don't believe it, then there's no point.
1: Right. You, you, don't, you don't go into this business Thinking like that when you get into this business you're kind of on some I'm just hanging out or we'll see what happens but then something changes to where you have to start believing that and that definitely was the moment that it actually changed it wasn't I said stuff before that I said like I'm the best comic I, remember I was that guy for a little while I was like I'm the best comic and that was the moment where it was complete opposite it wasn't saying that I'm the best comic anymore it was I'm the best version of me right now. And my best is good enough to entertain anybody. And and it's still, that's where I'm at now. Um, Do I succeed? I don't think so. Do I attempt? Absolutely. Everywhere I go, my attempt and my goal is to entertain and be the best comic that I can be. Not best comic on the show, because I have some friends that all they can think about is I gotta be better than everybody on the show. That's good for you. That's not for me. That's why I'm not a competition comic. I'm if if there's a competition, it's with what I did yesterday. It's with what I did last week. It's what I did earlier. It's what I did two weeks from now. That's what I'm in competition with.
0: Now going on to that. So you like you like to push on with things and you will not focus on self-improvement. So that leads me to saying. What 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 is a quote that you'd like to live your life by, and what life advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Keep doing stuff. That's the quote that I live by, and keep doing stuff is the quote that I would tell my or that's what I would tell my younger self. Is um I guess more in depth would be I get it. Stuff is going to be hard. Stuff is hard. Stuff is going to be hard. Stuff will get harder. Uh, But keep doing. And I would put dot, dot, dot. I don't know what the phrasing is for that. When you just put a trail of dots afterwards. that means et cetera whatever. But that's what I would say is keep doing stuff, no matter what. No matter what it is, keep at it. Um, Because I I remember when I taught, like when I did the Parks and Rec gig, which is a Rec Center gig, I had to train new hires. And oftentimes I would tell them, no matter what, I know you're gonna screw up. You're gonna screw up, you're working with kids. It's hard, this is not easy. Uh, You making mistakes is gonna happen, I can appreciate that. What I cannot tolerate or appreciate is you choosing to not do anything. Do something. You see a kid laying on the floor, grabbing their elbow and they're crying, you just standing there helps nothing. You running over there and jerking on their arm as well, that helps nothing, that might make stuff worse. (laughs) <laughs> but I would much rather you run over and attempt to remedy or, or help them than just standing there going, Ay, ay, ay you know, like I want you to actually run over and try to help. And so do something no matter what it is. So that's my biggest thing. And that's what I live by. I've been saying that for a while. <laughs> do something.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So you live by the Joe Rogan quotes, um, be the hero of your movie, I bet.
1: You have to, man. I don't watch a lot of Joe Rogan, and I should, especially considering he moved directly to the city. He lives here now, and does his podcast from here. Yeah, he moved from L.A. to Austin, Texas, man. It's it's, you know, Austin. Oh,
0: and have you seen him as he's been around the circuit? What what's what's? I
1: haven't seen him. Well, so you got to remember, he did this during the pandemic, and so our circuit is was effectively dead. Like we're just coming back, like as of a few weeks ago. They're starting to do uh, shows again, and everything is still outside. Austin's a very, in ways, conscious, health-conscious city, and so all of our sister cities and brother cities are moving around doing stuff right now. We're not. Our club closed forever, and a lot of our clubs continue to close, and we're barely putting out open mics every so often. I think we're up to four or five here right now. But, yeah, Joe Rogan hasn't. I, don't, I haven't seen him one because I haven't been on the circuit but also none of my friends are like, oh my God, Joe Rogan was here at the open mic, you
0: know? So... Uh, I mean, comedy's going to change forever because he only stayed in LA because a lot of his mates were there. And yeah. they moved away out from LA as well. So what's going to yeah. happen to LA because a lot of their big comics have gone? Joey Diaz yeah. left, or these other yeah. ones have left, and yep. Joe Rogan, one of the bigger ones.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I, what- I, I think the stage is still going to be there. No, don't, not to cut you off, but I think that the um, Hollywood is still in LA. Producers are still in LA. The glitz and the glamour is still in LA, but you may see more people who are like me, that we live where we live, but we travel and go work and perform and play in LA. Uh, but there'll be a lot more uh, nomadic comics, more so than ever Uh, because, you know, it's crazy right now. And I mean, this is the States. I don't know if it's there, but you guys, the only entertainment group that's working right now are comics. Everybody else is effectively shut down. Like uh, theater gigs are shut down. Big old arena tours are shut down. Uh, Athletes are working somewhat, but comics. And so if you're able to figure out how to go and do like literally a barn storming tour and perform outside in parking lots, or in grassy knolls you're able to still eke out a living somewhat right now so yeah it's it's going to be different but i don't know how much it changes i will tell you this which i'll ask you in a bit as well with these zoom meeting comedy shows etc i think more of us are going to do stuff like that in addition to this crap here these damn vr gigs i don't know if you if y'all have had vr gigs yeah. yet there yeah but people are starting to do that too. And so me personally, I I can't, obviously I have a green screen behind me, but um, let's see if I can turn it off real quick. Virtual background. Turn off, God darn it. I'm turning it off only just so I can make a point. Bam, I'm sitting in my room doing this interview. And what I've started doing is I've started kind of, recording little things and putting it online. And so more online performances are going to happen now because yeah, people like me who I have asthma and I'm at risk when it comes to this whole COVID stuff. And so because of that, I'm staying away from people. Uh, All of my, my performances for the past few months have been exclusively online.
0: Mm. It's it's an interesting world we live in, but Mm -hmm. as you said, it will be more of possibly a nomadic circuit. And I mean, maybe things will be better with the change. Who knows? I mean, if it makes things better, then people can't complain. If if yes. the world is a better place because of all that's happened. I mean, it's bad now, but if it makes the world a better place for the future, then it's a good thing. But we'll see what happens.
1: I hope it's better, man.
0: Let's see.
1: Sorry, I had to respond to my little girl real quick and my son, they both were texting me. All right, no, um, it will remain to be seen. I think that overall, and I'll just say this part, and I know you have probably another question. Um, the bigger thing is that it's opening up the world. And here's the good thing I see about it is I'm able to talk to you and you're, what time is it where you're at? Six o'clock. 6 p.m. or 6 a.m.? 6 p.m. Okay, it is 11.56 here, pretty much 12 o'clock. So that's what, eight-hour difference? Somewhere, something like that, yeah. Who cares about math? I know, we're <laughs> talking about arithmetic, I don't give a damn. But anyways, so six-hour difference, different part of the world. We're having a conversation, and comedy shows are running like this. And I don't want to say that that's the best thing in the world, but I think it is because if you use this the correct way, you can learn what you can do comedy wise. You, I mean me, us, we, what we can do comedy wise in our act that is universal, that I can do almost anywhere in the world. If you set up an open mic that's online or has a component of allowing me to call in from austin texas i can tell jokes week in and week out and eventually learn oh shit, this part of my set i can do in london okay i have a friend now who's in japan they have a mic i call in i can do this part of my act in japan and so forth and so that's kind of what i'm actually starting to do this week is I'm starting to branch out and hit up those different mics that have, you know, where they allow people to have an online component. I'm like, Hey, I'm interested in doing your open mic. I don't care if you have a show that you're interested in having me on. That's fine too, but I would love to take a chance and do your open mic. And if I have to wake up where I'm at at three o'clock in the freaking morning to tell jokes, I will. Cause I'm in my room. I'm literally sitting here in my room and I'm talking and I'm traveling which what used to take, you know, hours. I used to have to book a trip and, book a flight and, and make connections, and now I'm able to just answer a message on Facebook and say, hey, I'm interested, and so I look at that as that we're effectively shrinking the globe, and my hope, dude, is that I'm able to do this enough that when it comes time for me to actually travel in person, I'm not going to a random city. I'm going to where Marvin is. I'm going to where, is your name Marvin Allen or Ellen Marvin? What's your name?
0: Marvin, Marvin Allen.
1: Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to visit Marvin, who has shows or knows people, or I'm Okay, now this is funny. <laughs> what's up to Marvin? But I'm going to do these shows on a different part of town. That's what I'm using this opportunity as. Okay. Yeah, it's still weird.
0: It's, it's work. It's, yeah, it's
1: working. It for a while, it was a bit, woo, woo, woo. you know, why? Because I was talking about something important, and I feel like, uh, whenever I start talking about important stuff, the signal goes, okay, I gotta get weird. Let me see. If, I'm gonna switch over real quick. So, give me a split second and let's see if it goes.
0: Okay, there was, there was only, it's been, it's been good talking to you and it's it's been a pleasure but there's only there is one more thing i'd like to ask you am i good Yeah. would you like would is there anything you would like to plug
1: yeah um my instagram uh, is Squatch. am i so i send it to you or can i spell it to you how do you want to do it
0: uh, just drop me the handles or anything you want to plug on the message
1: then. okay cool and I'll is this way. a video or is this going to be just audio
0: um, as I'm recording quite a lot, it will probably just be audio.
1: Cool. Okay. Well, that's what's up. Um, I'm down. I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't have. Uh, you know what? I do have stuff to plug. I I usually go. I don't have nothing to plug. Uh, I'm with a group that does a bunch of sketches on YouTube called Mad Circus Comedy, and I'll send you links to all of this stuff. Um, I've been embracing the weird. The weird is that I haven't been performing in front of people for a long time. And so I've been instead doing these little goopy gigs. I got on TikTok, we have that little thing now, to where I'm starting to put out little goopy videos on there. And my stand-up is going to get interjected in that stuff as well. And so it's going to be a little goopy quick sketches. And they can only do one thing. They can't all do, they all can't do the same thing. They can all just do one thing at a time. And it doesn't matter if they can all do a million things. You can only deal with one of them at a time because you'll go crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, I just want to say, well, just take care, uh, stay safe during the pandemic. And it's been a pleasure. That was Simply Courtney or Simply Red or Simply Courtney. He, He was a fantastic guest. If you want to find out more about him, he is on Boogie Squatch. You know, like 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 Sasquatch, but he likes to boogie. If you want to try and remember it, and those social handles are on like Twi- Instagram and TikTok. He's got some very good videos in there, and Mad. He's he has a ch- little sketch group that he's a part of called Mad Circus so thank you for watching and once again if you like the episode please give it a view on iTunes and share it with your friends but if you don't like it share it with your enemies till now see you later